this morning as we continue our, our examination of the story of Ruth and we reflect on what it means to move forward from our past to our future, uh, I'm reminded that very often moving forward with God is risky business. And uh, this is a risky business sort of chapter. Uh, and, and, and though we haven't had maybe this experience, there are some things in our lives that, that have that sort of heightened sense of risk and significance. And, and one of those um, maybe many of us have been through. It's the experience of, of asking somebody out or, or more significantly asking someone to marry us, right? Which is a, a really wonderful, scary, risky, exhilarating sort of thing. So I want to talk about um, my experience with that and, and um, proposing to Krista. And this may be a story that some of you already know, but if not, uh, Krista and I started dating in college and we became good friends, and it was pretty clear um, we were interested in each other. We dated for a while, and then um, in, in the month of December of my senior year, I'm sorry, her senior year, um, I, I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm certain about this. I'm certain she's the one. And we had talked, and we knew we were sort of on the same page, but I wanted this to be a surprise. So I went out, and I, I, I first I called her parents and got their permission, and then I went out, and I, I bought a ring with some help from my family, and then I bought plane tickets, and I planned this whole thing. So right after Christmas, I was going to fly up, and I was going to surprise. I, I lived in Virginia. She lived in Minnesota. I was going to surprise her, um, show up out of nowhere, and, and, and pop the question. So everything's ready. I've talked to her parents. I've got the ring. I've got my plane tickets. I've made dinner reservations, all of that stuff. And then we're talking two days before I'm to leave. And we're talking on something called AOL Instant Messenger. And I know uh, many of you never heard of that before. This is like right after Homing Pigeons came AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, and so it was like texting, but you had to be on the computer. It was crazy. Anyway, so we're, we're, we're instant messaging. And we're talking about the new Lord of the Rings movie that came out. And she says, boy, Aragorn's a good-looking guy. And I say, Eowyn was pretty beautiful in her white dress. And she says, I thought I might be wearing a white dress sometime soon. And I panicked, right? Because it's, it's a surprise. I want it to be a surprise. It's two days away. Everything's all set. So in my panic, I said, well, I guess we're on different timetables. Oh, yeah, your groaning is right. It was the wrong thing. So we're texting, right? So I can't see her face or her expression or anything. So she says, okay, and we go on. Well, turns out I discover later that for the next two days, she is distraught, right? Because she thought we were on the same page. So I, I, I show up um, finally in Minnesota two days later. Her parents pick me up at the airport. We have this whole thing planned out. And they, they found a park next to the restaurant. We made a reservation. And I'm going to stand on a bridge over this frozen lake, and she's going to walk up. I'm going to get on one knee. It's going to be great. Um, but I didn't realize a couple things. Number one, I didn't realize I had um, totally made her distraught two days beforehand. So she doesn't want to go out. Her parents say, let's go out for dinner. She says, I don't want to go. So they, they sort of force her into the car. And then I didn't realize it was going to be dark by the time that she got there. So she pulls up in downtown Minneapolis, and her parents say, why don't you take a walk by yourself through the park over there? <laughs> <laughs> and she says, no. So I'm sitting on this bridge, and in the distance, I see her and her parents all walking up together. And I think, this is not a spectator sport. Uh, 
So praise God, when she gets close enough to recognize that I'm not a mugger on the bridge, um, she walks up, they walk away, I get on one knee, I say, will you? She says, yes, happy ending. Um, I got to tell you, um, it was, though I knew the outcome almost before it happened, it was one of the most exciting and scary things I've ever done, right? What if, what if she says no? Um, and, and, and that risk is exactly, I think, what God calls Ruth into in this story. And I mean exactly, because this is a proposal story, okay? This is a story of Ruth proposing to Boaz in exactly the same way as, as um, we would do it today and, and using some of the same, or their culture's traditions for the same act of engagement as we would do today. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about this proposal story of Ruth and Boaz and the risky thing, uh, the risky business that God calls Ruth and Boaz both into. Because I believe that when God calls us forward from past to future, there's always a risk. So if you've got your Bible and want to keep it open to Ruth chapter 3, we're going to be in, uh, looking at this a lot. Um, I, I would love to spend a lot of time on Naomi because she's incredible in this chapter. And Naomi actually takes some pretty sizable risks too. But we're going to focus mostly on Ruth and Boaz. Um, so Naomi gives Ruth some instruction. She says, I, I, I'm concerned about your future. I, I want you to be secure. In their culture, that means marriage. And so she says, I, I think you need to go to Boaz and let me give you some advice. First, she says, I want you to wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes before you go to meet him. Now, for years, I read this and I just thought it meant, you know, make yourself presentable. Um, but there's more to it than that. So if you remember that Ruth is a widow, we don't know how long ago her husband Malin died. But we know that she's a widow, and it's very, very likely that Ruth has been wearing the traditional widow's garments this entire time, right? That uh, in, in that culture, you wore particular clothes and, and carried yourself in a particular way, including sometimes not washing or not doing your hair or whatever, in order to, to visibly represent to everyone around you that you were in mourning. And, and so it's most likely that Ruth has been in mourning the entire time that we've been reading this story, the entire time she's been with Boaz. And, and so when Naomi says, wash yourselves and anoint yourself and put on um, your clothes, she's saying, end your period of mourning, right? And let the world know publicly that you're available to move forward. By the way, this is the exact same language that's used with King David when his son dies. He has a son with Bathsheba. And he mourns for a period of time. Then he prays that God would let his son live. And then when the son dies... He ends his mourning and he gets up and he washes and anoints himself and puts on his best clothes, right? And then he goes to worship. Um, it's a visible way of saying to the world, I'm no longer in mourning. I'm ready for new things. So I think the first thing for us is when God wants to start something new in your life, you have to get dressed for it, right? You have to get dressed for it. You can't move forward with God if you're still stuck wearing your widow's robes. Uh, and so I, I love this idea that in Scripture, the Bible says that you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And, and part of what Ruth does in this moment is she says, hey, I'm ready for new things, right? I'm ready for God to do something new in my life. And, and that's a choice that we have to make, right? We have to say, God, I'm ready for you to work something new. Uh, God, this morning as I get up, I'm gonna put on whatever it takes to let you and the world know that I'm ready and I trust that you have a new plan for me. Uh, so the first thing 
what we're called to do uh, is to get dressed for new things. Uh, and then well, Ruth gets some other interesting advice from Naomi. Uh, and this is where it gets um, very risky. Uh, so she says, go down to the threshing floor at night, hide until he finishes eating. And then when he lies down, go next to him, uncover his feet, lie down next to him, and he will tell you what to do. Okay, now this is supposed to feel scandalous. Does it feel scandalous? If it doesn't, it should, right? Um, and, and it's scandalous for a whole bunch of reasons. We'll talk about them um, in a minute. But we don't know for sure what feet means. Um, the Hebrew word for feet can mean feet. It also can mean legs, right? Sometimes it's interpreted to mean sexual organs, right? So something risky is happening here. Uh, and certainly, even without that piece, showing up at midnight and laying down next to a man on the threshing floor is not normal activity. So in this moment, Naomi asks Ruth to do something incredibly risky. Uh, and, and so much could go wrong. Boaz could wake up and um, maybe best case scenario of bad things is he could make fun of her, right? Oh, you, you know, here's this foreign poor widow who I was nice to, right? I, I helped her glean in my field and a little bit of niceness was interpreted the wrong way. And um, honey, you've got no chance with me. I'm a rich Israelite landowner. You're a foreign woman. Get out of here, right? The other end of the spectrum of bad things is much worse. He could take advantage of her. It certainly seems like she's inviting him to do that. And then in the morning, he could say, I'm done with you. I never want to see you again. Or he could have her charged for prostitution. Or he could have her charged for adultery, right? Because um, though her husband is deceased, she's not married to anyone else yet. The, the risk for Ruth is immense in this moment. And so I love Ruth's response to her mother-in-law. She says, I will do whatever you say. And every time I read that, I think, boy, I don't know that I could say that to my mother-in-law, but isn't that how we're supposed to respond to God? I just say, God, I know you call me into risky, crazy, dangerous stuff sometimes, but I will do whatever you say. I've been um, rereading the Harry Potter books with my daughter Zoe, and uh, you, if you know, uh, you know me, you know I, I love Harry Potter. Uh, so we're in book seven, and uh, in book seven, uh, The Deathly Hallows, Harry, one of the main themes of the book is that Harry is struggling to trust Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore is the, the great leader, the wizard um, who's the headmaster of the school. He's kind, and he's powerful, and he's wise, and all the good guys trust Dumbledore, right? And, and the, one of the main themes of the book is, will Harry choose to trust Dumbledore too? Uh, and there's a moment, he keeps getting all this information that makes him uncomfortable, stuff he didn't used to know about who Dumbledore was. And there's a moment uh, where Harry's talking with his friend Hermione, and he says, it's not just that, Harry said, still avoiding looking at her. Muriel said stuff about Dumbledore at the wedding. I want to know the truth. He told Hermione everything that Muriel had said. When he had finished, Hermione said, of course I can see why that's upset you, Harry. I'm not upset, he lied. I'd just like to know whether it's true or not. Harry, do you really think you'll get the truth from a malicious source like Muriel? How can you believe them? You know Dumbledore. I thought I did, he murmured. But you know how much truth there was in everything that they wrote about you. Dodge is right. How can you let these people tarnish your memories of him? Harry looked away, trying not to betray the resentment he felt. There it was again. Choose what to believe. He wanted the truth. Why was everybody so determined he should not get it? 
And throughout this book, um, Harry's called to choose to trust Dumbledore, right? Not to have all the information, not to get all the details, not to know everything he wants to know, but to choose to trust. And in the climactic moment of the book, that's just what he does. And, and, and I think that's what faith is about, right? Dumbledore's a, a God the Father figure in Harry Potter. We're, we're called to trust God when we don't have all the answers, when we don't know how it's going to work out, when he calls us to do risky things that seem not the thing that we would choose, right? Faith is saying, all right, God, uh, I'll get dressed and ready, and then I'll do what you say to do. Then um, Ruth goes down to the threshing floor uh, and puts this plan into play. And, and you got to understand that if you were a good Jewish mom or, or dad and your kids were hearing this story for the first time, you were hearing this story for the first time, this is the point where you'd cover your children's ears, right? Because you're thinking, I'm not sure this is appropriate for synagogue. And Ruth shows up and she uncovers the feet of Boaz and somewhere in the middle of the night he wakes up, probably because he's cold, and he looks over and all of a sudden there's a woman laying next to him. A woman that he doesn't recognize, perhaps because she's no longer dressed in her widow's garments, which proclaim to the world that she is unapproachable. But now she is dressed uh, as a woman who is available for marriage. And he says, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. And then she proposes to him. She proposes to him by saying, spread your cloak over your servant, for you are my Goel. So uh, in our culture, we spend a whole bunch of money on a rock, and we weld that rock onto a, a band of metal, and then we um, go up to someone on one knee, sometimes in the dead of winter, in the middle of the night in a strange park in downtown Minneapolis, and we hold that ring up with a rock on it, and we say, hey, please spend your life with me. They didn't do it that way in Ruth's day. If you wanted to symbolically show the world that you were engaged or married, uh, the act was really simple. You took your garment as a man, the garment you were wearing, and you literally spread the hem of your garment around the woman you wanted to marry. And that was the act of engagement. That was the act of, of giving a ring, of proposing, of saying, we're going to be one family and so when Ruth invites him to do that, she's saying very clearly, I want to marry you. Um, by the way, just as an aside, um, the word cloak in Hebrew is kanap. Say kanap. Good job. Uh, and the, the word kanap doesn't just mean cloak. Uh, it, it means border or edge of something. So it can mean the edge of your cloak. It also means um, wings. And very often in Scripture, we, we get the word kanap to refer to the wings of God. For example, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz says, uh, may God cover you in his wings. He literally says, cover you in his kanap, right? Uh, and so here's Ruth saying, I want to ask you to fulfill the promise that you said God should do in my life, right? I want you to be my, my goel. I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. Uh, and, and we mentioned this last week, but it's so important there's more than one potential Goel for you in the world, right? It's not like Boaz is the only person that Ruth could go to to perform this role of being a kinsman redeemer. Uh, and so it's a choice that she makes, right? She chooses Boaz. In fact, we're going to hear in a minute there are other people that she could have chosen or maybe should have chosen, but she chooses Boaz. 
And this is really simple, but it's super important, right? I believe that we also have many, many options on who the Redeemer in our life will be. And, and we've got to choose Jesus. And you can't default into that, right? You can't just say, I grew up in the church and I've always gone to church, and so I guess that's kind of what I think. Now, just like you can't default into marriage, I can't, uh, if I had waited 20 years and told Krista, hey, you know, one of these days we ought to get hitched, she would have said, well, I left you 15 years ago, you dummy, you haven't noticed. Um, you, you can't default into these things, right? It takes uh, a, a, a commitment to say, I, I want to do life with you. Uh, and you got to pick a redeemer. And so uh, in this moment, Ruth picks Boaz, and, and there's got to be some moment in our life where we pick a redeemer. And it doesn't have to be Jesus, but if it's not, you're going to be disappointed. If it's not, you're going to be disappointed. So Ruth comes uh, with this incredible marriage proposal. Uh, she takes all this risk. I mean, she, she gets dressed special for this event, and, and uh, she does this really risky plan her mother-in-law has, and she picks the man, the redeemer, that she wants to move forward with. Uh, and then we sort of switch to Boaz. Uh, and Boaz's response is so interesting. Imagine for a moment that you were, were taking a nap at work and uh, you woke up and next to you, um, some woman had taken your shoes off or some man had taken your shoes off and was lying down next to them. And when you woke up, they said, hey, let's get married, right? Th this would be a little um, surprising. And, and there's no dating that happens before this, right? They don't date in that culture. Uh, and so Boaz's response is fascinating to me. Boaz says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. So what could be perceived as a really inappropriate thing, Boaz perceives as loyalty. Uh, and, and the word loyalty here. Uh, again, in the Hebrew, means so much more than just loyalty. Um, the word is hesed. This is your last Hebrew word today. Everybody say hesed. Okay, hesed is sometimes trans translated as loving kindness, sometimes translated as covenant faithfulness. Hesed is usually what we ascribe to God and His love for us. In fact, twice in the book of Ruth, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, they speak of God's hesed, his kindness to them. But now Boaz is saying that Ruth's choice to show up in the middle of the night, uncover his feet, and lay next to him on the floor is like God's covenant faithfulness to us. It's a really weird moment. So uh, here's what's going on. I, I think there's three things that Boaz wants us or that Boaz understands as hesed, as covenant faithfulness. Um, of course, the, the, the first hesed he talks about was her covenant faithfulness to Naomi, right? her willingness to stay faithful to her mother-in-law. But in this moment, the, the last faithfulness uh, is, is three simple things. The, the, the first is um, she could have gone after somebody her age, right? Obviously, Boaz is older. Obviously, she's younger. And he's impressed that she chose him. But, but that's the minor one. That's the small one. The, the, the bigger one, the bigger reason that this is Hesed is because she doesn't have to go to Boaz, right? Not just that she doesn't have to go to a, 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 an older guy. She doesn't have to go to Boaz at all. She isn't under an obligation to go to a kinsman. 
And this is really important, right? The, the kinsman isn't under obligation to be Goel for her, and she's not under obligation to go and be married to him. Why she chooses Boaz is because of Hesed, because of her covenant faithfulness to her deceased husband and his family line. Okay? She comes to Boaz because she is still so faithful to Malon, her husband who died, that she wants to make sure she marries in such a way, whether it's comfortable or convenient for her or not, that his family line continues in Israel. And Boaz knows all of that the minute she shows up on the threshing floor wearing her regular clothes. And he says, you're not here just because you're in love with me. You're not here because uh, I was kind to you. You're here because you're still being faithful to the husband who's deceased in an attempt to carry on his family by marrying into his family. And then he recognizes that the risk she takes is so great. And her risk only makes sense because she trusts him. She believes him to be a man of Hesed as well. This is um, such a crazy, powerful moment for me um, because Ruth um, totally trusts this guy uh, that she has uh, sort of only limited knowledge of, and, and yet her willingness to believe that he really is a man of Hesed is Hesed itself, right? I think one of the really critical things for us if we want to move forward with God is we have to live with Hesed and with people of Hesed. Uh, and the folks that we surround ourselves with and the folks that model that covenant faithfulness for us encourage us to, to live that covenant faithfulness to God as well. Uh, and it is so easy to wake up one day and look around and realize that, hey, none of my friends are living the life of faith that God calls me to live. People that are important in my life aren't following Jesus, and, and I'm trying to do it on my own, and it's really hard. And the story of Ruth and Boaz, for me, is a beautiful example of what happens when we have hesed people around us, right? Covenant faithful people around us. We are provoked to covenant faithfulness as well. And so the question that everybody wants to ask about this story is, do Ruth and Boaz have sex? Right? I mean, do they have sex on the threshing floor? That's the question. And I got to tell you, for years I read this story and I just always assumed, because it's so risky, that the answer was yes. But I don't think that anymore. Uh, see, as I understand this story as a story about um, the hesed of God, the risky covenant faithfulness of God, uh, I don't think that this is a story about the passion of romance. I think it's a story about the power of covenant faithfulness. And in this moment, as Ruth shows up next to Boaz and he says, hey, I'd love to marry you, but I'm not sure that I can. There's someone who has a right to it even more than I do. And as she hears that from him, it's hard to imagine that in that moment, either one of these people of incredible loving kindness of covenant faithfulness would then say, hey, but even if we're not sure we can be married, let's just go at it, right? No, I think this is a beautiful testimony of what happens when two Hesed people come together, right? They encourage each other to keep making godly choices. They encourage each other to keep following God in risky and Christ-honoring ways. Okay, one more thing about this story um, that, that I think is really critical for us. So we get to the, the part where Ruth makes her 
proposal of marriage, and Boaz says, I'd really like to marry you, but I can't promise that I will. And then he says, um, even though it's true I am a near kinsman, there's another near kinsman um, more closely related than I. Remain this night, and in the morning, if he will act as Goel for you, good, let him do it. If he is not willing to act as Goel for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as Goel for you. Uh, And I I love this idea um, uh, first of all, I love the fact that Boaz has so much hesed uh, that even though he wants to marry this woman, he's honest and straightforward and says, hey, I got I to do this the right way. We got to make sure we do it on the up and up. But I, but I also love um, that you don't always know that you're someone's goel. Right? I love the fact that, that once you are moving forward with God, right? once you're ready for him to do new things in your life, and once um, you're doing what he says and you pick Christ as your redeemer, and you're trying to live in covenant faithfulness, you might get called on to be a redeemer for somebody else. And you don't always know that's coming. And you're not always ready. And you're not always feeling like you're prepared. You don't have all the answers. Um, but sometimes God just calls you to step up. And it's so easy for us to say, yeah, but somebody could do that better. Right? And of course they could. Um, but God picks us, right? God picks you. Just in this last season of COVID, uh, there have been so many times where I have seen our church, uh, our church individual members step up and choose to be Goel for someone else. Um, I've seen some of you um, purchase cars for other people in the church who needed a car. I've seen some of you pay the rent of people in the church who couldn't pay their rent. Uh, I've seen you own that responsibility of, of being a kinsman redeemer, not because you were the best person, not because you were the closest biological relative, but just because God put you in their path and you stepped up. And, and I think this is so critical for us that sometimes the act of being goel in someone's life happens as a lifelong commitment to them. Sometimes it comes as a, a radical commitment for a season. Sometimes it's as simple as a, a, a little act of caring that you might not even know has an impact. I read a book not too long ago by um, Nick Kristoff and Cheryl Boudoun called A Path of Peers. And uh, they tell all these different stories of people who, um, whose lives were transformed. And, and one of the stories is about a Polish-Armenian refugee uh, in Romania. Uh, and, and I just want to read you a little bit of this story. Um, they said um, there was a Polish-Armenian refugee in Romania whose life was altered forever by a single note on his behalf. Uh, I'm going to butcher this guy's name. But the man's name was Wladyslaw Kristofowicz. I think I'm getting that right, with three Zs. In the aftermath of World War II, when Europe was awash with refugees and troubles, Kristofowicz tried to escape the communist bloc by swimming across the Danube River and to Yugoslavia with an inner tube which developed a leak halfway across. He was arrested, gasping for air on the Yugoslav side of the river, and sent to a prison labor camp and an asbestos mine. After a couple of years, Yugoslavia decided to release some of their refugees to the West as a way of sort of doing a goodwill statement, but also to execute some of the refugees as a way of showing Stalin that they were still devoted to his cause. Uh, And so these folks in these labor camps were brought and put in trains and, and they sort of were aware that if their train went west, it meant that they were going to be sent west and ultimately set free. And if their train took an eastward turn, it meant they were not being set free and, and very likely might be part of the group to be executed. 
And so there are folks on the trains, and they're literally calling out the signs so people know which direction the train is going, east or west. And it just so happened uh, that Christofowitz had managed to talk to the French embassy in Belgrade. He spoke French eloquently, and he had relatives in France. And so uh, as a random act, a French diplomat sent a note to Yugoslavia's government mentioning Christofowitz's name and asking about his case. And it turns out um, that little brief note, no more than an inquiry, was enough to save his life. He ended up on a train going west. Uh, A week later, uh, they arrived in Italy. He ultimately made it to France. Uh, As he worked in France for a while, he met um, uh, a young American woman from Portland, Oregon named Marge Cameron. And they grew friendly, and she invited her parents and her parents' church, the First Presbyterian Church of Portland, to sponsor Christofowitz's immigration to the United States. And he made it to the U.S., and the church found him a job at a logging camp. And after he arrived in Portland, he decided that his name was unpronounceable in America, which is true. And so he changed it to the more pronounceable Lattice Christoph. And it turns out he was the father of the author of this book, Nick Kristoff. And Nick says, so take it from us. Don't disparage the impact of a letter or scorn a drop in a bucket. That's how buckets get filled. That's how lives are changed. That's how opportunity is created. And I love this idea uh, that sometimes God calls us to be a goel for someone. And it might be as simple as a drop in a bucket, right? As saying, I don't want you to go back empty-handed. Of pouring six measures of barley and a shawl and saying, go back to your mother-in-law. God never leaves others empty. Even though Naomi thought she was empty, uh, she wasn't. God brought her back to fill her up. And so God uses us to fill up the lives of others. So here's the deal. Now, this is a beautiful proposal story between Ruth and Boaz, but it's not just about Ruth and Boaz, right? I hope you got that. Uh, Ruth is Israel, and Boaz is Yahweh. And and Ruth is representative of what we are supposed to be like as the people of God, right? Uh, A people who show up and, and are ready for God to do new things in our lives and take Him at His word and choose Him as the one we want to go forward with. And Boaz is God, right? He's the one who has the incredible covenant faithfulness that we aspire to. He's the one who is our redeemer and uses us to redeem others. This isn't just a love story. It's the best love story. And it never gets old, no matter how many times it's told. So I hope today that you hear God's call into some risky business with him. I hope you hear God's call uh, to step out on faith and trust that He has a plan for you that you can only begin to imagine, but you can already place your hope into. I hope you realize that this love story is your love story too. Thanks be to Him. Amen.